Welcome to Workday's second quarter fiscal year 2020 earnings call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. We will conduct a question and answer session towards the end of the call. And with that, I would like to hand it over to Mike McGarrow, Vice President, Business Finance and Investor Relations. Welcome to Workday's second quarter fiscal 2020 earnings conference call. On the call, we have Anil Bursri, our CEO, Robin Sisko, our co-president and CFO, Chano Fernandez, our co-president, and Tom Bogan, our executive vice president of the business planning unit. Following Anil and Robin's prepared remarks, we will take questions. Our press release was issued after the close of market and is posted on our website where this call is being simultaneously webcast. Statements made on this call include forward-looking statements regarding our financial results, applications, new product offerings, customer demand, operations, and other matters. These statements are subject to risks, uncertainties, and assumptions. Please refer to the press release and the risk factors and documents we file with the Securities and Exchange Commission, including our most recent quarterly report on Form 10-Q for information on risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that may cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth in such statements. In addition, during today's call, we will discuss non-GAAP financial measures, which we believe are useful as supplemental measures of Workday's performance. These non-GAAP measures should be considered in addition to and not as a substitute for or in isolation from GAAP results. You can find additional disclosures regarding these non-GAAP measures, including reconciliations with comparable GAAP results in our earnings press release and on the investor relations page of our website. The webcast replay of this call will be available for the next 90 days on our company website under the investor relations link. Also, the customers page of our website includes a list of selected customers and is updated monthly. Our third quarter quiet period begins on October 15, 2019. Unless otherwise stated, all financial comparisons in this call will be to our results for the comparable period of our fiscal 2019. With that, let me hand it over to Anil. Thank you, Michael, and hello, everyone. Thank you for joining us today. I'm pleased to share the details of another very good quarter. In Q2, we continued our momentum as we partnered with our customers to drive digital transformation across cloud finance and HR. Let me share some of the highlights, beginning with HCM. As of today, more than 40% of the Fortune 500 and approximately 50% of the Fortune 100 have selected Workday for the core HCM platform. And as we continue to expand our efforts globally, 17% of the Global 2000 have also selected Workday for their core HR system of record. In the second quarter, some of the new customers we added included The Gap, Stanley Black & Decker, and Rockwell Automation in North America, ALDI Stores Limited in Europe, and Bunnings Group Limited in our Asia-Pacific Japan region. Our continued success globally is a direct reflection of the value we place on live, happy, and referenceable customers. Notable go-lives in Q2 included Deutsche Bank, Home Depot, and PNC Bank. Our customer satisfaction rate remains amongst the highest in the enterprise cloud software industry, and the success of our customers is an incredibly important part of our enduring business longer term. Shifting to cloud financial management, we had another strong quarter with approximately 50% revenue growth. In Q2, we added a Fortune 100 insurance company, which was another in a growing trend of financials first customers. In addition to this large new customer, we also added the City of Baltimore, Veolia UK, and the Government of Singapore. These are just a few of the many new customers who selected Workday for our core financial management applications in Q2, bringing our total customer base for this product line to over 725. 
Also, and equally importantly, we had several customers go live on financial management Q2, including H&R Block, Lowe's Corporation, and Shake Shack. In addition to the strong performance from our core financial application, we continue to see great opportunities with Adaptive Insights Business Planning Cloud as we officially lap the one-year anniversary of the acquisition. In Q2, Adaptive Insights added over 200 new planning-first customers and over 45 new platform and upsell deals to new and existing Workday customers. We believe that with the depth and breadth of our cloud-based finance products, in combination with our industry-leading HCM suite, Workday Prism Analytics, and the Adaptive Insights Business Planning Cloud, we are delivering a global solution that is highly differentiated and critical for empowering business leaders to plan, execute, analyze, and extend all-in-one system and powered by machine learning. And we are continuing to invest in areas that leverage our strengths and open up new market opportunities. I now like to spend a few minutes talking about innovation. As you know, innovation is a core value and part of our DNA at Workday. First of all, I'm pleased to share that Fast Company recently named Workday as one of the 50 best workplaces for innovators. We are very proud of that distinction, that even as we maintain our very fast pace of employee growth around the world, our company culture around innovation remains strong. We have a lot of product innovation as we look ahead to our upcoming Workday 33 release, and I'd like to mention just a few. First, for HR, we continue to hear from our customers that addressing today's skills gap is critical as they look to better develop and reskill their workers and prepare their workforce for the future. We continue to leverage machine learning built into the core of Workday to broaden our Skills Cloud offering with two new features, Skills Miner and Skills Insights, to help customers better understand and manage skills across their organizations. In financial management, we're using machine learning to detect anomalies. Anomalies will be flagged as they occur, affording users an opportunity to detect and correct potential reconciliation issues when they happen, rather than during the high-pressure month-end close. And on the analytics front, we're making data insights available to all for both finance and HR with data discovery boards for Workday Financial Management and Workday HCM, allowing users to quickly visualize data, detect patterns, and discover insights all within Workday. We look forward to sharing more about our product innovation, customer success, and market opportunity in October at Workday Rising, our annual customer conference. The Financial Analyst Day takes place on October 15th in Orlando, and we look forward to seeing many of you there. And now over to you, Robin. Thanks, Anil, and good afternoon, everyone. We delivered solid second quarter results with total revenue of $888 million, reflecting year-over-year growth of 32%. Our subscription revenue was $757 million, up 34%, and professional services revenue came in at $131 million, up 23%. Revenue outside the U.S. was up 35% year-over-year to $211 million, representing 24% of total revenue. Subscription revenue backlog was $7.03 billion, growth of 27% year-over-year, Growth was driven by solid results across net new bookings, add-on business, and net retention, which was once again over 100%. Also impacting Q2 backlog growth was a duration headwind of approximately 1%. Subscription revenue backlog that will be recognized within the next 24 months was $4.77 billion, growth of 28%. Current unearned revenue was $1.80 billion in Q2, up 29% year-over-year, while total unearned revenue grew 27% to $1.89 billion. 
Our non-GAAP operating income for the second quarter was $118 million, resulting in a non-GAAP operating margin of 13.2%. Margin overachievement was driven by a combination of top-line overperformance and the shifting of certain expenses from Q2 to the back half of the year. Operating cash flow in Q2 was $100 million. We continue to invest in our people and in attracting top talent to Workday. During Q2, we successfully added and integrated approximately 470 net new employees, bringing our total workforce at the end of the quarter to over 11,400. We continue to execute very well operationally and are pleased with our solid first half results. I'll now turn to guidance. Our focus remains centered on investing in our products and other areas of the business to support our long-term growth aspirations. Based on our overperformance in Q2, but keeping in mind we face very difficult second half comps from last year, we are providing Q3 and full year guidance as follows. For subscription revenue, we're raising our FY20 estimate to be in the range of $3.06 billion to $3.07 billion, 29% growth at the high end. We expect our Q3 subscription revenue to be $783 to $785 million, 26% growth at the high end. We are raising our professional services revenue guidance to $520 million for fiscal 2020 as we continue to focus on driving the highest levels of customer success. For Q3, we expect professional services revenue of $135 million. For non-GAAP operating margins, we estimate Q3 to be approximately 10.5%, and we still anticipate 12.3% margins for the full year. The GAAP operating margin is expected to be lower than the non-GAAP margin by approximately 28 percentage points in Q3 and for the full year. We still expect subscription revenue backlog growth in the low 20s in the second half, and there is no change to our FY20 operating cash flow guidance of $790 million. We continue to expect the full-year capital outlay for our own real estate projects to be approximately $130 million, of which $95 million relates to the Development Center in Pleasanton. There is no change to our fiscal 2020 plan of $280 million for other capital investments to support our customer growth and continued business expansion. I'll close by thanking our amazing customers, partners, and employees for their continued support and hard work. We had a solid first half of the year and will continue to focus on our customers' success. We look forward to seeing many of you at Workday Rising in October as we share more insights on our strategic product initiatives and long-term market opportunity. Operator, let's begin the Q&A process. And at this time, I'd like to inform everyone, in order to ask a question, press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the pound key. We will pause for a moment to compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from Richard Davis from Canaccord. Hey, thanks very much. Um, so I talked with an early user of your platform as a service, and they, they like it, and they said, you know, there's obviously a few little nits that they're working on and stuff like that. But the thing they really liked the best was you're not kind of pigeonholing them into a specific database and things like that. But I guess the main question is, is you know, what point does this kind of become – 
widely available, or is it, what are the you know gating issues that we need to address to kind of make this thing uh, you know running full speed and fully available? Thanks. Uh, uh, thanks for the question, Richard. It's it's available today in what we call limited GA, uh, which means it is actually widely available, but it's around a set of uh, well-defined APIs and, and particular areas of the product. And uh, going into next next year, uh, 2020 calendar year 2020, we expect to have the the uh, broader set of APIs available where we would will be in true general availability across all aspects of the product line. Got it. And then for a quick follow-up on technology, you know, one of the things that I was talking to someone at Wake Med, and they just said one of the big problems they have is all the credentialing that they do is all in paper. And you guys are a, I don't know what you, you know, a system of record for people. Is there a way that you could, you know, digitize that stuff in a, you know, safe way so it's not, so it's private and stuff like that? Because, you know, it's not just driver's license, but it's, you know, records and all this other stuff and all that. Are you Are you guys working on that direction? We actually introduced Workday credentials, which is exactly what you described at our Altitude conference uh, just a just a month or month back, which was our in our professional services conference for both our our professional services and our partners' professional services people. Uh, John Ruggiero actually wrote a blog, which you can see in our website about Workday credentials, and you'll learn you'll see a lot more about it at Workday Rising. It's a very exciting new area for us. It's been under development for 18 months, and it, it accomplishes exactly what you uh, what you describe, Richard. Well, perfect. Thanks so much. Your next question comes from Brent Bracelin from KeyBank Capital Markets. Good afternoon. Uh, one for Anil and one for Robin, if I could. Uh, Anil, if you look at uh, the, the international expansion strategy, you talked about, I think, having only, what, 17% 17 penetration of the global 2000. It looks like uh, international revenue is less than 25% of the business. Can you just remind us where you're at um, relative to international expansion? Um, what are your efforts there to kind of really accelerate the footprint internationally? Thanks. So I'll, I'll take a crack at it, then I'll ask uh, our, our President Chano Fernandez to weigh in as well. You know, we're, we're very focused on selling to large multinationals, and so as a result, uh, we focus on the large national uh, multinational markets, UK, France, Germany, in Europe, Japan, Korea. Uh, those really have been the big markets outside the U.S. moving into Mexico, uh, but it really has followed sort of the G8, G10 countries and I would say at this point we're pleased with the results. Uh, we've actually done quite well in the Asia-Pac region and Australia New Zealand as well. It's still early on, and it's, it's a combination, both of us going into those markets and those markets just coming online into, into moving into the cloud for HR and finance more aggressively. I'd, I'd say the market is outside the U.S. is three or four years behind where we are, you know, we are in the U.S. today. Anything, anything you want to add, Chano? Um, I would like to highlight that, uh, as Anil is commenting, we are pleased with the progress and results in our international markets, remain very focused there. I think on top of our uh, traditional large enterprise uh, focus, we are really having and seeing great results and success in the medium enterprise since we took uh, the same implementation and, and project methodology from the, from the U.S. into markets like Germany, Nordics, France, um, and some others and we're seeing great traction. So, you know, early days um, and a lot of opportunity is still to, to be captured from us in the international markets, but um, great customer satisfaction so far um, uh, and great progress. 
Helpful. And then one quick follow-up for Robin. Uh, just looking at uh, calculated billings growth, it looked like that peaked last year during Q3 at, at uh, 48% year over year. How should we think about that compare? Are you talking about, I think, 20% plus growth in the second half? But should we kind of con put consideration around our calculated billings growth assumptions for Q3 given that tough compare a year ago? Yeah, I mean, we've got tough compares across all of our metrics in the back half of the year, so definitely keep that in mind. Uh, I would expect that our earn, unearned growth rates would be largely in line with the uh, subscription revenue backlog numbers that we gave you, so you can um, infer from that what billings would be. Okay, great. Thank you. Helpful color. Your next question comes from Mark Murphy from J.P. Morgan. Yes, thank you, Anil. Just uh, given all the headlines and cross-currents uh, that are out there, we have had a few software companies start to encounter some problems uh, driven by Brexit or uh, the trade situation. Um, you know, looking at this in contrast, your results and guidance are showing real health, uh, real consistency. So just curious if there is anything worth mentioning on the macro side in terms of business confidence or, you know, what you're hearing from other um, CEOs, whether whether they have any, uh, any incremental concerns or not. So, you know, when I look at our pipeline um, across all the product lines, they're very healthy, so we're not seeing any impact on our pipelines. But there's, you know, there's no question there's uncertainty in the air. And I, I think the CEOs you talk to, the closer they are to doing business in China, the, the, the more uncertainty they feel. So, uh, so I, I just think we're taking a, we're taking a wait and see and, and listen to our customers mode. We haven't seen any issues in the pipeline, but the way that it would materialize, I think, for most tech companies would be seeing things slow down yet, which, which we haven't, but, I know there's a lot of uncertainty in the air, and we're trying to we're trying to read the tea leaves the same way you are. Okay, that makes sense. Um, as well, uh, Robin, I wanted to uh, just mention it's great to hear you're adding a Fortune 100 uh, company as a financials customer, and I'm just curious, what are you inferring from uh, having a, an enterprise of that kind of scale? You know, moving forward with financials uh, first, I think is how you described it, because that's that's been so rare in the past. So just kind of wondering, is it, is it a reflection of uh, product maturity or enterprise readiness or something else? Yeah, Mark, I think it's actually both of those things. We had mentioned a couple quarters ago that we were starting to see financials first, large financials first deals in our pipeline, which had been a change. Uh, we still see those. I would expect that those wins will be lumpy, as with all of our large deals. Um, and that they'll kind of ebb and flow. But I do think we're at a convergence point now where our product is ready and has been for a while, and now the market is ready up in that large enterprise space as well. Thank you. Your next question comes from Mark Mordler from Bernstein Research. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Um, congrats on the quarter. Um, two, two separate questions. First one is um, – are you seeing any change in the number of opportunities or the size of the opportunities entering the pipeline um, for financials? I'm trying to get a sense of how the early stage of that pipeline is starting to mature, and then a follow-up question. Uh, I think, uh, Mark, as we've been commenting, we, we, I mean, when I look at the pipelines for financials, second half and beyond, uh, we, we are pleased with what we have and what we'll be building both in the U.S. and and the rest of the world, uh, we're seeing 
more traction in a couple of verticals, very consistent with what we commented before. Those are mainly right. financial services and healthcare in the large opportunities. But yes, we see that it's moving up market and, and yes, it's growing our financial pipeline faster um, clearly than, our, than it's been on our core business lately. Perfect, excellent, very helpful. I'm gonna ask, given how good the quarter and clean the quarter was, I'm going to turn to something investors don't generally ask talk about, and that's the gap margins. Performance margins are improving. How should we think about when the gap margins will start to improve or turn positive? What are the factors that can drive it? Any color would be interesting. Yeah, so as, as you know, uh, stock is a very important part of our compensation philosophy here at Workday. Yep. And so we should continue to expect that we'll spend, you know, a good portion of our revenue, you know, 20% now, but, you know, nothing declining in the near future going forward. So as we reach towards the 2020, mid-20s um, non-GAAP revenue, that's when we would expect to start to look towards GAAP profitability. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate it. Your next question comes from Kirk Feinerney from Evercore ISI. Uh, thanks very much, and congrats on the quarter. I guess, Neil, I was, I was curious just about your thoughts on Adaptive a, a year after the acquisition. Just, you know, maybe some thoughts on, on how it's done, I guess, relative to your expectations, which I knew were, were high going into it, and, and maybe anything that's been surprising to you just on, on maybe a positive basis, whether it's, you know, helped stoke more conversations around, you know, the financial uh, organization broadly. You know, just maybe a little bit more color on, on kind of how that's panned out relative to what you thought a year ago would be great. Yeah, it's it's honestly been a great year. Uh, uh, Dave, my co-founder Dave Duffield, and I were actually at Anaplan for an all hands meeting there yesterday uh, with Tom Bogan, our uh, you know the the CEO and, and my good friend, uh, and all the key people are at the company. There's a lot of momentum. We've had a great first year. What, what I th- what I think we expected to happen was that uh, the product would be a great fit up market with the workday customer base, and it's played out that way. Uh, and it's actually happened probably faster than either Tom or I would have imagined. We've had some really big wins like Airbus and AstraZeneca uh, choosing choosing the adaptive uh, the adaptive product line. Um, I think the the really uh, positive piece is that the standalone adaptive business has continued to be very healthy, independent of being attached to Workday, and so uh, so it's it really has worked out. Extremely well, and I think it all starts with, uh, with with the most important thing: very, very similar cultures. We both care about our employees. We both care about our customers. Uh, high integrity places, and so, um, you know, if there were five more adaptives, we would, we would probably look at look at making acquisitions like that. Unfortunately, those are they're few and far between. But uh, really, really a, a phenomenal first year. Yeah, that's great. Maybe just one quick one for Robin. Robin, you mentioned. Uh, more spending pushing into the second half of the year. Was that higher? I mean, hiring seems strong, so I guess is it just some one-off items that are maybe pushing a little bit in the second half versus expectations? Yeah, we were slightly behind on hiring, but nothing that was very impactful and nothing that's going to jeopardize all the good work that we have planned this year. Most of the slippage was what I would call program spend, things like advertising and other types of uh, program initiatives that just moved out of the quarter and are going to start a little later in the year. Sounds good. Thanks very much. Your next question comes from Alex Zukin from RBC. Alex hey, guys. Zukin, thanks for taking my question. 
Yeah, hey, guys. Um, I just wanted to ask on uh, maybe first on adaptive, are you starting to see or, or maybe can you talk about the cadence of adaptive uh, leading to more kind of core financials deals? Um, and then I got a quick follow-up. Uh, there's, there's no question it's, uh, it's, it's helped on the pipeline for financials. And, I mean, the, the key is if you were to look at, at the CFO priorities, planning is way at the top of the list. And, uh, you know, Adaptive has a best-in-class planning product both for finance and increasingly for workforce planning. And so it's a great entry point, and it broadens the conversation. And if a customer is not quite ready for core financials, we're still okay with that. We'll get in the door with planning and can follow it up later. But I think it just it broadens the appeal. There's, there's just no question it broadens the appeal. I think Prism Analytics does that as well. So uh, having that, that broader product footprint for, for the financials uh, customer base has, has been really important for us. Perfect. And then maybe uh, just one for Robin. Is there any way to conceptually think about the impact of adaptive on the subscription backlog um, numbers or, or kind of how we should think about that going forward? Yeah, so when we uh, bought them in Q3, we disclosed that we had inherited $140 million of adaptive backlog. And so we got that benefit Q3 of last year, which obviously impacted the bookings number as well. So it's very tough comp for us um, starting in Q3 and into Q4. Got it. Thank you. Your next question comes from Keith Weiss from Morgan Stanley. Excellent. Thank you for taking the question, guys, uh, and uh, congratulations on, on a good quarter. Uh, you continue to make good progress adding new customers into the fold, and, and there's definitely kind of more to go, particularly in international. I wanted to sort of take the other side of that that equation in terms of the, the progress in upselling into existing customers, maybe get an update on um, how that's going with sort of the broader um, HCM portfolio and, and the ability to sort of um, further penetrate into some of the existing customers. Keith and Chana speaking, we, we are pleased on how that business is doing in terms of the attach ratios, I would say, starting with uh, selling financials back into our HR install base uh, and then clearly planning, present, recruitment, learning. I, I think uh, most of our attach rates and our products are doing very well, which is great because, as we said before, it's taking off pressure from a growth perspective from the core HCN. Um, we usually have disclosed some of those attach rates and number on, on the analyst day around where they're rising. Not sure what we will do this year, but uh, but stay tuned. But uh, good progress. I, I would just add, I think there, it's been really good progress since Chano put a more dedicated focus on, on customer base, but we could also still do better as as we've embarked on a pricing study with one of the top uh, consulting firms. It's very clear that we are still more geared towards uh, net new from new logos than from our customer base, and that's probably different than the other uh, the, other, the other cloud peers out there. So Got it's it. an, it's it, an it, area of, of high interest for us. Got it. That makes sense. And, and maybe a follow-up for, for Robin. Um, given the, like, um, the, the, the uncertainty that um, Anil is speaking to within uh, – the customer base. I understand it's not in your pipeline, but that does that impact your kind of forecasting methodology at all? Like in terms of the guidance you get, get any more um, conservative on on any of kind of the um, uh, the, the inputs that you guys use in in uh, uh, putting out the back half of the year? 
So as you know, we've said all along that uh, we're more back-end loaded this year than we have been in other years. So we've definitely taken that into account in our guide. And we've got a large pipeline, and we're focused on executing against that. And we're looking forward to updating you more next quarter. Got it. Thank you. Your next question comes from Cash Rankin from Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Hi, thank you very much. Congratulations, uh, team, on a fantastic quarter. I wanted to ask a little bit about the core HCM product. Anil, you mentioned that 40% of Fortune 500 have standardized on uh, on Workday, and then you also mentioned 17, it's only 17% penetration of the global 2000. In, in markets like this where the number one player generally tends to get dominant market share, are we still targeting that kind of market share that you have with the Fortune 500 on a global scale? And, and, and so, therefore, um, not to put words in your mouth, but uh, how do you – Think uh, or how sustainable do you think is the growth rate for the core HCM product line, especially given um, this this uh, difference between penetration levels of the global 2000 versus Fortune 500, and what does the company need to do in order to get to that equally dominant position on the global scale as you have with the Fortune 500? Thank you. So you know I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to sign probabilities, but obviously aspirationally we'd like to have the same. Uh, market share in the in the Fortune 2000 that we do in the Fortune 500. And by the way, we're at 40% of the Fortune 500. I expect that to continue to rise. There's still there's still probably 200 accounts that have not made decisions yet. Uh, the Fortune 100 was the first group to make decisions, and there we know we have uh, we're also around around 50% of the of the Fortune 100. For the rest, as long as we can continue to execute and take care of customers, I don't see why we. We can't have um, high penetration rates of the global Fortune 2000. It's incumbent on two things. Number one, continuing to expand globally and, and reaching uh, reaching those opportunities. And, you know, they're not all in the countries we're in. There, there are probably some opportunities that are in places that we're not yet selling to, so we have to, we have to factor that in. Um, and number two, some of those markets, as, as we talked about earlier, are still very early on in their cloud Migration, and so that's that. That's probably the most the most important focus for us is to be there as these companies begin to to migrate off of their legacy systems. But you know, it's opportunities out there, uh, and you know, it gives me it gives me confidence that the HR opportunity is continuing to be a, a long term opportunity. And there are so many modules that we can go back into these customers with, even even modules we haven't even brought to market yet. So uh, you know. Very confident it's a, it's a big enough market to continue to support our growth. Wonderful. And, and if, if you have a couple of words on replacement of legacy SaaS installations, is that still a tailwind for you guys, uh, as, as it was the case a couple of quarters back? That's it for me. Thank you. Le- legacy SaaS meaning failed, uh, meaning either uh, bolt-ons that we're replacing or, or, or core systems of record that failed in the cloud from, exactly. from one of our yep. competitors. That, yeah. I think that, that will continue to be a trend for us and an opportunity for us. When you get to the, when you look at the Fortune 500, candidly, neither of our large competitors have um, have uh, real proof points over 100,000 employees or even over 50,000 employees that are in production. And, and a huge part of our success has been not just winning the customer, but getting them into production and having them be happy. Um, our, I think the stats are we have uh, of the approximately 50% of the uh, Fortune 100 that are that are uh, using Workday, 35% uh, or, or 35 of that 50 is already live, right? So that, that's that's a huge that's a huge uh, advantage. And, and when people have a failed project, the, the next thing they want to do is 
is get the sure thing and make sure that it works, and that's where that's where we hopefully come into play. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Your next question comes from Derek Wood from Cowan & Company. Thanks. Uh, first one, Anil, uh, you, you changed up some leadership and, and leadership structure in your international regions during the quarter. Could you just talk about the, the reasons for the changes or maybe just comment with the, the new leadership and structure, kind of what you're hoping to sharpen your focus on? Uh, I'm going to turn over that to, uh, to Chano. Yeah, international remains, uh, Derek, international remains a very big focus for us within the sales organization. And, and as we said, we're happy with the progress. We also said that there were a couple of countries where we had opportunities for better performance and to improve. So as part of that process, we promoted someone within the company that has been with us for quite a few years, and we're very and really, really excited about the opportunity ahead. And personally, I am. Okay. And, Robin, you mentioned last quarter, and I guess this quarter, again, it's more of a back-end loaded quarter um, or, or back-end loaded year. You, you maintained the um, low 20% backlog growth for the second half. Can you just give us some color as to what you think around, you know, kind of Q3 versus Q4 and whether it's more weighted towards higher growth in Q4? Any color there would be helpful. Yeah, Derek, it is more weighted towards Q4 than last year. So we had a more even distribution, particularly when it comes to the large deals last year than we have this year. And we're seeing, you know, really back and loaded into not just the second half, but into the second quarter, then on, I mean, sorry, the fourth quarter. And then on top of that, we're facing really difficult comps from lapping the adaptive acquisition. Okay, thanks. Your next question comes from Remo Lenshaw from Barclays. Hey, uh, two quick questions. Uh, congrats for me as well. Um, can I go back to adaptive? Like when you uh, got it, and Neil, like uh, you know, was more focused on SMB, and uh, but you kind of were convinced that the core technology was really good to scale it up. Can you talk a little bit about the progress you've made there? And then, like, just, just one word also then on the partner evolution of the partner channel. Thank you. Uh, so, at the time of the of the acquisition of adaptive. They had already been working on scaling the products and uh, and rewriting their modeling engine for the biggest companies in the world. It was not well known to the marketplace. Uh, they were not yet public, but the work was well underway. And we're very pleased with how that work has gone. A big chunk of it got delivered in the earlier part of this year. It continues. But we now have the confidence to sell to companies like AstraZeneca and, Air, and, and Airbus, you know, two very, very large companies. So the, the scaling efforts that uh, that was already underway has, has gone really well. They, they have a world-class, I should say we, because it's we now, but we've got a world-class development team on, on, a, on, on the adaptive front, and, uh, you know, they, they continue to uh, scale the system to the largest companies in the world. And, and that really was that was really it. I think it's, it was also the, the other part of it was in, in investment in the sales side for large enterprise. That's a big uh, – it's a big – Cost. I think if Adaptive had gone public, that would have been a big investment for them. By becoming part of Workday, they were able to leverage our, our high-end enterprise sales organization immediately, and that's, that's paid big dividends as well. Uh, on the evolution of the partner channel, you know, we continue to, to have a broad base of, of uh, strong partners. Uh, of course, we've got all the big, the big SIs. I think the, the, uh, the two big trends in this last uh, 12 months has been their embracing of the uh, financial product line and their embracing of adaptive. Adaptive was um, historically not as close to some of the big SIs and 
as the big SIs have, have learned more about the products, they've gotten very excited, and we expect that that uh, set of partners are going to be very helpful to us in some of the larger situations that we're, uh, that we're in competing for right now. All right. Thanks, Tim. Thank you. Your next question comes from Mark Marcon from Barrett. Good afternoon. Let me add my congratulations. I was wondering, Anil, if you could, um, you know, elaborate a little bit more with regards to the heightened focus in terms of driving attachment within the existing client base. Um, could you dimensionalize that in terms of the opportunity, or and, and how long would that take to scale up, and and how quickly do you think that would be visible um, from the outside? You know, I I think we'll do that for you at the at the. Um uh, user conference at Rising. Uh, we typically update that kind of thinking. It's it's hard to do in a in a short call, but but uh, we'll we'll have that for you at the next uh, analyst meeting. Okay, if there's great. you know when we're at we're at and uh, we've always been in the high 90s of customer satisfaction. When we come out with new modules, our our customers on the margin tend to want to buy from us. There's there's more opportunity there, uh, but. Rightfully so, the last three or four years we've been focused on on um, getting new accounts, uh, but now we have, you know, a, a base that's closing in on 3,000 customers for HR and you know, 700 for financials and over 4,000 for adaptive. So we now have a big install base, and we probably need to adjust our thinking a little bit about how how to go back to that base, uh, uh, you know, more systematically or, or not more systematically, probably with a bigger footprint on the sales side. Great. And then with, with regards to the, the guidance, you know, typically the subscription revenue guidance has been conservative. I understand the year-over-year the -year, um, compare. Um, you know, looking at it from a seasonal sequential perspective, it seems conservative. Is there anything that would, that would drive that, um, this from a, from a seasonal sequential perspective? Well, yeah, we do have some seasonality in our subscription revenue, mostly between Q1, Q4 and Q1 and Q1 and Q2, sure. based on the number of days. So we do get a tailwind in Q2, uh, which then we don't get in Q3 and Q4 from from that. Uh, you know, obviously we take a lot of things into account when we guide. We take into account, you know, overall sentiment. You know, Neil talked a little bit about what he was saying. Uh, the fact that this is a more back-end loaded year than we've had in the past obviously is weighing on our guidance as well in terms of, you know, us having you know, more to close now in this back half than we generally do halfway through the year. So you know, we're focused on execution, and, you know, as I said before, we'll, we'll update you as we get through the back half of the year. Great. Congratulations again. We will now take two more questions. Your next question comes from Carl Kirstead from Deutsche Bank. Oh, hi, thanks, Robin. Simple one for you. You had mentioned <clears throat> three months ago that um, on the cash flow side, uh, 2Q would be quite limited. Uh, 100 million is, is a little bit more than uh, limited. Uh, I, I trust what happened here is maybe some of the margin outperformance um, worked its way down to the cash flow line, or were there one or two other things that might have contributed to that uh, overperformance? Thank you. Yeah, Carl, that was definitely part of it. We also uh, came out of the quarter with a stronger collections number than we had gone into the quarter thinking we would have. Uh, obviously, Q2 is a seasonal low for us, and so it's it's a little hard to predict where we're going to land quarter by quarter 
given we do a lot of our business at the end of the quarters and invoices are due near the back half. So whether they pull in or slide out is really a bit of an unknown. So we were pleased with our performance on, on the cash flow. Got it. Okay, that was it for me. Thanks a lot. We will take our final question from Pat Wall-Ravens from JMP Securities. Oh, great. Thank you. Um, you know, Anil, in our checks this quarter, we actually heard good things about PRISM. Uh, and so I was wondering if you could if you could tell us how, how that's going. And then maybe that would be an opportunity. Your, your longtime partner spent $16 billion to buy Tableau, so they clearly see some opportunity. So maybe that's a – Maybe you could work in your, your perspective just for the analytics space in general uh, for companies like you and Salesforce. Yeah, no, you know, Prism, Prism has uh, has been a strong performer, continues to be a strong performer. Um, so we had another we had another very very good quarter with Prism. I think where you'll, you're you're going to see it go uh, is more and more in the way of dashboards and, and usability that we that we highlighted in the uh, in the prepared uh, comments and. A set of applications that that sit on top of Prism, people analytics being the first, but you could see financial analytics, spend analytics, um, and this idea of package analytics is really resonating with our customers. So it's a big part of what we're doing, and in, in many ways, it's it's the culmination of a lot of work to show when you have a strong transactional engine, the kind of deep analysis you can do with that with that data. So uh, it continues to chug along, and we only didn't mention it just because it's Q2, and we. When we get to the um, uh, analyst meeting in in, um, in a few months, we'll we'll show you more detail about what's happening with Prism. It's very exciting. All right, great. Thank you. Very happy for Mark and Tableau. It's not competitive with with Workday. We actually use Tableau in some situations internally. I think a lot of companies do. Um, at the end of the day, people are using our analytics to really focus in on the data types that we drive, HR and financial data types and uh, vice versa. So, uh, you know, it's probably a very good move for Mark, and it's a, it's a very, you know, it's a very good company that he acquired, so. Right, great. Thank that you for that perspective. That concludes the Q2 Workday Earnings Call. Thank you for joining us today. Have a good night.